It's great, isn't it, to be in a church just so blessed with so many gifted people and talented people. It's great to have Rachel leading worship this morning for the, I think, I think the first time at Regent. I'm not sure the first time at other churches, but certainly the first time here. So it's really great, and we're just so blessed to have so many different folks who, some people are in during the week. Martha was in on Friday for several hours cleaning all the building, uh, all stuff behind the scenes which we don't see, so that the building's lovely and fresh and clean, and then people up the front and everything else in between. It's really great just to be able to see loads of different folks serving God, serving one another. So it's great, and, and thanks, Rachel, for leading us this morning. Now, on, on the 4th of July, 2008, my world pretty much collapsed when Claire told me that she'd just taken a phone call to say that my oldest brother, Neil, had just died. Now, Neil was 43 at the point, and had been, at, at that point, had been suffering from a brain tumour for several years. And even though the diagnosis was terminal, both he and I believed that God would actually heal him. But God didn't. And Neil went to be with the Lord Jesus around lunchtime on the 4th of July, 2008. And, and it felt like, for me, pretty much my world had just kind of collapsed and fallen apart. Neil is nine years older than me, and he was always my hero from being a little kid. Uh, here's a picture of us when we were, when I was very little. And that was kind of Neil always looking out for me. He's nine years older than me, and he was just kind of my hero. He's a, a massive spiritual influence in my life. Uh, and I looked up to him a great deal, apart from that, that he was six foot something and I was never as tall as him. And, and I even met Claire through, through Neil. And, and so when Neil died in, in 2008, it was an incredibly traumatic experience for me, one that I will never forget. And it was like the floor just kind of disappeared from under me. It was like kind of being kicked across a room and, and just battered um, in a gale force wind and, and kind of just passing through flames. It was, it was really bad. And I guess it was a mixture of both terrible grief, which is natural and, and normal when you, when you lose a loved one, but, but also ex the kind of shock of experiencing something that I'd been praying so hard wouldn't happen and that I actually didn't believe would happen. And, and nothing really prepares you for moments like that. It doesn't matter how much you kind of prepare yourself, nothing really prepares you for something like that when all of a sudden your world crashes down around you. It kind of hits you like a hurricane. And, and trying to stand up and trying to remain functioning is, is really quite difficult at times like that. I guess that if I was to take a survey of everyone around the room this morning, then many of you would be able to kind of relate different ex or, or similar experiences to that, perhaps different but, but similar. That, that terrible shock from a cancer diagnosis, especially when the doctor says it's terminal. The pain and trauma of a miscarriage or perhaps the horror of the death of a young child, the pain, or even an adult child, the pain of betrayal when a husband or a wife is unfaithful, or perhaps uh, when uh, a husband or, or, a, or a father or mother goes off with somebody else, the utter dislocation in family life when uh, perhaps parents divorce and the family just kind of collapses around you. And some of you will have experienced those kind of things. Some of you will have experienced them in the past, some of you will experience them in the future, and maybe some of you this morning are actually engaging with some of that kind of thing right now. Perhaps different to what I've described, but for you, in your life right now, some of those kind of similar situations where it's just difficult to keep going. It's difficult to make sense of what is happening, and you just feel like you've been battered across the room. David, in the Bible, reigned as king over Israel from 1010 to 970 BC, and 
Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And, and we tend to think of David as this great guy, fantastic. He's a really strong commendation, a man after God's own heart. Who wouldn't want that kind of epitaph against them? But David's life was full of all kinds of ups and downs. He was a real kind of contradiction. He was a great man of God on the one hand, and yet he ended up committing adultery, and then he even murdered the lady's husband. Before he was crowned as king, he was hunted down like a wild animal by the existing king, and he had to live for quite some time as an outlaw, just kind of living in fear of his own life. He was a great king, but on one occasion, one of his sons, a guy called Absalom, rebelled against his own father and staged a coup. Absalom disposed his own father and took over the country and installed himself as king. And David found himself once again living on the run, kind of living in, ca in caves on the run from the authorities, even though he was the rightful king. And eventually Absalom uh, was defeated and David won his throne back. But not before he experienced great mental torment, knowing that the son that he had raised and loved had completely betrayed him. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Absalom, having his son go behind his back, plot against him, scheme against him, and eventually depose him in a coup so that he became king. That must have been just awful for David to raise a son who would do that. He must have worried, kind of wondered where he'd gone wrong as a father. Why would his son hate him so much? Why would he despise him so much that he would stage a coup against him? I can't even begin to imagine what that must have felt like for David to be betrayed, to be rejected, such kind of hurt to say nothing of the physical danger that he actually found himself in as he was on the run and not even sure if he would live and, and, and would he be caught and, and put to death by his son or by his son's soldiers. And you can read about that period of, of life for David in, in 2 Samuel 15 to 18. But whereas those chapters give a historical account of what happened, Psalm 61 that we're looking at this morning helps us actually see how David was actually feeling while that was happening. This is a kind of little glimpse into his emotional state as opposed to uh, 2 Samuel, which is all about the kind of historical account. And Psalm 61 helps us peer into David's heart and see the journey he was on as he tried to come to terms with what had happened to him and what was happening to him and, and to try and cope and, and kind of make some sense of it all. It's a poem. Psalm 61 is a poem, as all the Psalms are. It's a poem that David wrote, which would later be put to music. We don't know whether David was writing it at the time or if years later he reflected on that period and, and, and penned it then. But over time, it became part of the Jewish hymn book, the, the, the book of the Psalms, and was sung in the synagogue and in Jewish worship services in the temple and the synagogue. So we're going to read Psalm 61, and I'm going to ask Kirsty Mauer to come and read it for us now. So thanks, Kirsty. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call for you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you, God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will ever sing in praise of your name and fulfill my vows day after day. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Kirsty. Sorry. That's the biggest insult, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry to call you your sister. Thank you, Kirsty, for that wonderful reading. David begins this psalm 
and he's on the run and he's living in exile and he begins it by praying, by kind of just crying out to God. He says, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. And you get this real sense that David is just completely desperate. He feels like he's far, far away from God. He's far away from Jerusalem where he wants to be and he's far away from God. And his heart is growing faint. He's utterly overwhelmed. Some translations put it that way. He's overwhelmed by his circumstances. His whole world has come crashing down around him and he was reeling from betrayal. And you get the sense that he's really just struggling to make sense of what is happening to him. I remember when my brother died, it wasn't just the pain of grief and loss, losing someone that you love so dearly, which is always painful whenever that happens, but it, it, was, it was partly, I guess, for me, the shock of, of what for me was the unexpected because I believed that he would be healed. And then trying to make sense of what God was doing or wasn't doing. And there were some days when I would try to pray, but there were just, just no words would come out. I would sit and get my Bible out and I would just sit there and then I'd, Half an hour later, I put my Bible back and carry on. Nothing else was happening. And trying to lead a church and, and preach on Sundays in that time was a challenge, to say the least. But David, despite his confusion and his pain, feeling so utterly overwhelmed with his circumstances, knew that the one he needed to turn to and connect with was God. He was the one that he needed to cry out to for help. He recalled, he looked back on what God had done for him in the past, and it was partly that memory and knowledge of what God had done in the past that enabled him to focus on the future. He knew that God had been with him when years previously Saul had been trying to get him and Saul had been trying to put him to death. He knew how God had restored him and forgiven him when he committed adultery and even murder. And so he turned again, inspired by his memory of God's faithfulness and goodness, he turned again to God for help. He made that difficult choice to remind himself of who God is and what God had done in the past. And we read similar words in Lamentations 3 where Jeremiah is in a similar kind of situation. And he says this, he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Because, sorry, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And just as Jeremiah could say, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, so David was able to make that conscious effort to focus on God and remember what God had done in the past, so that fueled him and inspired him to carry on. And so he cries out to God, lead me to the rock that is higher, the rock that is bigger, the rock that is greater than I and, and David's kind of picturing God as this massive rock that he can hide behind and be sheltered from the hurricanes and the storms of life. This is a picture of a mountain that Claire and I drove past in the Rockies in Canada when we were over in Canada uh, earlier in the year. And it's called Castle Mountain. It kind of vaguely resembles uh, a castle, apparently. I think if you kind of squint, you might imagine it's a castle. And it's called Castle Mountain. And, and this is the, the same mountain, but just from a different view. And maybe it kind of gives you a, a greater sense of it there. And as we sat and kind of parked up, and it's kind of difficult, there's so many amazing things to see, we kind of parked up, oh, let's get some pictures, and both of us, just in that instance, found ourselves saying, yeah, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That was just the, the words that popped into our heads as we looked at this massive mountain. God wants to be the rock that is higher than I. God wants to be the rock 
that can safely shelter us from the blast. If a hurricane wind was blowing, it would knock you over. But if you got behind this rock, if you, if you stood behind this massive mountain, this rock that is higher than I, you'd be sheltered, you'd be safe. You'd be able to stand sheltered from the storm. And God wants to be that rock in our lives. God wants to be that rock that is higher than I. The rock that we can safely stand behind so that the blast comes, but the blast is still there, but we're standing sheltering safely behind that rock. It's not that God prevents us from experiencing the storms. Anybody who's been a Christian for five, ten minutes will know that, yeah, just being a Christian doesn't mean I suddenly am exempted from all kind of all of life's problems. That isn't the case at all. But God enables us to stand in those problems. When other times we would just be blown over. It's God's ability to enable us to stand because he is that rock that is higher than I, that we can shelter behind so that we can stand and keep going. As David continues to recall who God is and what he's done for him in the past, he says this, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. In the time of David's reign, there would have been many defensive towers kind of scattered around the land. And in case of attack, it's where the people would flee to. They'd go, they'd retreat to these uh, towers, and they'd be safe. They'd have a measure of kind of safety. It's a bit like the many tower houses you get in Northumberland. This is Elsden up in Northumberland. And, and, and these were built in the sort of 14, 1500s as a refuge, uh, whether it was the marauding Scots coming down or whether it was the border reavers, the raiders, kind of cattle thieves and so on and people would use these towers to retreat to for safety safety from the attack of the enemy and you get an example in the old testament of this or what david was referring to in judges 9 where he says this or, or where judges 9 says this next abimelech went to thebes and besieged it and captured it inside the city however was a strong tower to which all the men and women all the people of the city had fled they had locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof and the Bible borrows this imagery of these strong towers where people would flee if uh, people were invading and, and attacking them. The Bible borrows this imagery of a, of a strong tower, a physical strong tower, and applies it to the, the spiritual refuge that God wants to provide for us in times of difficulty, in times of trouble. Proverbs 61 verse 3 says, The name of the Lord, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. David recalled that in the past, God had been just that. God had been his refuge. God had been just like a strong tower for him. God had been just like a massive rock that he was able to shelter behind. And so with that memory, with that kind of memory inspiring him about who God is and what God had already done for him in the past, he, he was able to commit himself once again that despite it was horrendous for him, he was able to continue trusting God to be his strong tower that kind of sense of retreating away from the hurricanes and fires of life just to be alone with God and remind ourselves of who he is and how much he loves us and as we do that it gives us the strength to face the day and we might not have strength to do anything more than just get through this day and then we have to start all over again remind ourselves of God's goodness and who he is and that enables us to get through the next day and sometimes that's all God gives us is the strength for each day but he does do it David says, I long to dwell in your tent forever. And he's kind of missed and, and expressing his desire for the, the fellowship and the intimacy of spending time alone with God. And he knows that he really needs this. You know, many people in the Middle East at that time would have lived in tents with lots of nomads. And to be welcomed into a person's tent 
was to be welcomed into their life. If you said, come on into my tent, you were saying, come on into my life, come on into my family, come and eat with me. It was about fellowship, it was about friendship, it was about welcome. It was a place to rest from the journey. If you were a traveler, it would be great to be welcomed into someone's tent, just to rest, to be alone, or not to be alone, but to be with somebody and, and just to be able to rest from the journey. And sometimes when we face the hurricanes of this life, the first thing that goes is often spending time alone with God, isn't it? I guess if we're honest, a lot of us, when bad stuff happens, the first thing that sometimes disappears is our own walk with God, our, our times of being alone with God, especially as it's often so difficult to pray and to know what to pray when our lives collapse around us through all sorts of bad stuff. For many weeks after my brother's death, my, my prayer life just kind of consisted of, Lord, if you don't show up today in some way or other, I, I'm going to have to quit. I can't make it through this day unless you show up. And that was about all I prayed for many weeks, months maybe. And, and that was about all I managed for a while. And, and, and then I realized that we don't always have to use words at all. It's okay just to spend time alone with God. It's okay just to be in his presence, just to sit at his feet, not to need to say anything, not to have to pray for five minutes, ten minutes, whatever. You don't have to read the Bible. It's good to read the Bible, but it's, it's okay just to sit and be with God and just to be in silence with God. It's okay just to kind of sit inside his tent and be with him even when we don't know what to say or have anything to say. I went for several weeks, just didn't have anything to say. And sometimes that's where we'll be. And it's just good to know that actually God wants us to come, kind of as it were, in his tent and just sit, be with God. It's okay just to sit in God's presence and rest a while from all the chaos that's going on around us and allow him to feed us just by his very presence. If we can manage more than that, great. But sometimes that's all we'll manage is just to sit and just to be. Then David says, and take refuge in the shelter of your wings, just like a chick will shelter under the wing of its mother. So God longs for us to shelter under his wings. Now, God hasn't got wings. He's using pictures of life to kind of illustrate his point. Just like God is a strong tower, just like God is a rock that's higher than I, here the imagery is of like a bird sheltering its chicks under the mother's wing. And this imagery of God's wings providing shelter for us appears twice more in the Psalms. Firstly, in, in Psalm 57, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Again, it's just that sense of just being still under the, the shadow of his wings until it passes. And then in Psalm 91, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. And the idea is that of a kind of mother bird laying down her life for her chicks as they shelter under her wings as the fire races through. We've seen lots of wildfires, haven't we? And you find this with, particularly with ground nesting birds when there's wildfires up on the moors. And firefighters afterwards will find a dead bird, but underneath are the chicks still alive because the mother has covered the chicks with its wings. And the fire races through and the chicks are survived and they're safe. Or as in the case of this picture here of a mother sheltering her chicks from a rainstorm. I thought you'd prefer that than a dead, charred uh, hen. So I went for that picture. And these verses tell us something, don't they, of the heart of God for us. That he loves us deeply. He loves us dearly and he cares for us passionately. Just as a mother bird will care for her young. And David uses these four pictures. The, the rock that's higher than I. The strong and the fortified tower. The, the, the tent and 
the wing that provides shelter, to teach us about God and about his love for us. But they teach us about the heart of God for you and me. That he cares deeply about the problems that we find ourselves in. We don't know why God doesn't remove us from the problems that we find ourselves in. There's much mystery in the Christian faith. And the Christian faith can't be kind of deduced or, or, or reduced down to a little equation and, and simple statements. There's much mystery in life as to why God allows us to go through different things. But we do. And as we find ourselves going through that, we need to remember that God still loves us passionately and deeply. Somebody once said this, people only matter if they matter to someone who matters. People only matter if they matter to someone who matters. And each one of us here this morning matters to someone who matters. And the person that we matter to is God. The someone that really matters above all else is God himself. And this morning, if you get nothing else, remember that you matter to God. He is passionately in love with you. He passionately cares for you. You matter the world to him. And if you doubt the fact that you mean the world to him, just look at Jesus there on the cross. For God so loved the world. And you're in the world and he laid his life down for you. That's how much we matter to God. God sent his one and only son to come and to die on the cross in our place. That the perfect Lord Jesus who then took your sin and my sin and was punished instead of you and I so that we don't have to be punished. We can have that wonderful relationship with God. And the one who was born in Bethlehem and, and then died on a hill just outside Jerusalem before conquering the grave understands what it's like to face the hurricanes and the flames of this life. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel. We particularly perhaps think of it at Christmas, don't we? we lots of the carols have got Emmanuel, the title Emmanuel in it. And Emmanuel just means God with us. And that's why Jesus was given the name Emmanuel, because he was God come to be one of us, come to live amongst us. And it's such a beautiful name, isn't it? Because it tells us that God hasn't stayed remote from us. God isn't some kind of finger-wagging, nasty headmaster, authoritarian who's not really interested in us, from a di just looking at us from a distance. God loves us passionately and became one of us and came into this world and identifies with us. God doesn't expect us to go through the things that he hasn't had to go through or doesn't understand. God, in the person of his one and only son, the Lord Jesus, has lived out life here on earth. He was a real man with all of the challenges that men face. God understands your life and God understands my life. Why? Because he's been through most of what you and I have been through. Now, just think about it for a minute. He grew up in a home where his human father wasn't his real father. His parentage was questioned, and that innuendo never quite went away. One occasion in John's Gospel, the Jews said, we know who our father is. And if you read it, you can get what they're saying, but you don't know who your father is. You're illegitimate. His family rejected him. His human brothers and sisters accused him of being mad at one point, and they abandoned him. They said, he's mad. We want nothing more to do with him. You know, if your family life isn't all that you wish it was, or if your parents aren't all that you wish they were, remember this, that Jesus knows what that's like. Joseph wasn't Jesus' actual father, but he, he was a good father from what the Bible tells us, and he acted as a surrogate father to him and had him brought up as his own. We don't know when Joseph died, but it was sometime before Jesus began to teach and preach. So Jesus knew what it was like to lose a parent. Jesus knew what it was like to watch his own earthly father, the man who had adopted him and raised him as his own, he knew what it was like to watch him die. 
As a young man, Jesus experienced the loss of his earthly father, and he even had to face up to the reality of the news that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. That's not pleasant news to have to live through. A man he loved was his cousin. And, and maybe today you're struggling with grief because you've lost someone you love. Remember this, Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus understands because he's a human being. He became fully human. Never ceased to be God, but he became fully human. And he understands what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus understands the pain that you may be still going through with the loss of your loved one. Jesus experienced temptation. We struggle with this concept probably, I guess. But the Bible clearly says that Jesus suffered when he was tempted. So he knows what it's like to be tempted. Some of you right now are struggling and suffering all kinds of temptations, perhaps. And, and maybe you think, well, it's okay for the Bible to say don't do this and, and, and don't do that. But in the real world, it's really hard not to give in to temptations. Remember this, Jesus knows what that's like. It says he suffered when he was tempted. He was homeless. Jesus himself said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have the nests. But the Son of Man, that was one of the way Jesus referred to himself, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, you might have very little, and what little you do have is about to be wiped out by the fuel increases in the autumn, so get ready to be homeless. It's good to know, isn't it, that Jesus knows what it's like to have very little to live on. Jesus was actually homeless. He was staying from place to place. He had to rely on others to provide his finance. He knows what that's like to be hard up. He watched the men he'd spent three years teaching and training betray him, and abandoned him. They all left and ran away from him and even denied that they even knew him. And Judas, of course, sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Imagine pouring three years of your life into some guys who then throw that back in your face like that. Jesus knows what it's like when those close to you betray you and abandon you. He was misunderstood. People questioned his motives. Some of them accused him of being possessed by demons. And finally, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was spat upon, he was mocked, and then he was nailed naked to a wooden cross. I think that the title Emmanuel is a fantastic title, a really appropriate title for the Son of God, don't you? God with us. God understands the trials, the troubles, the grief, the pain, and the temptations that we struggle with because he himself has lived this life and he understands it. And the one who's been through those hurricanes and those flames himself offers this morning to us to be the rock that is higher than I. He offers to be that strong and fortified tower that we can retreat to. He offers us fellowship and intimacy when we've got nothing even to say. And he offers to provide us that shelter of his wings as the fire sweeps through. David knew these things to be true, despite the awfulness of his situation. In verse 5, he says, For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. When David talks here about God giving him the heritage of those who fear him, he's talking about the land of Israel and about his throne. God had promised this to him. And so David is expressing trust in God for the future, even though right now for David, at that moment, everything looked pretty bleak for him. He's on the run. He doesn't know, humanly speaking, whether he's going to get back to Jerusalem and reclaim his throne. But in faith, calling back, recalling those promises God had made to him for his heritage, he prays in faith. And he says this, increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. David trusted that God had a future beyond his current situation, that God wasn't done with him. 
He was trusting in the promises that God had already made to him about his throne and about his position. And if you read 2 Samuel 18, you'll find that God did indeed restore David to the, the throne, and there he was back again as king. But we all know that in life, it doesn't always work out like that for us, does it? We don't always get restored. We don't always get better things and, and, and bigger things. David had very specific promises about the kingdom and about his throne. God had promised David that his kingdom would last forever beyond his own death and it would go on forever and that one of his descendants would reign forever. We, on the other hand, rarely get those kind of specific promises, do we, from God about our own situation? Sometimes we do. God may give us a, a real specific promise, but those are probably quite rare, I think. But the promise that we do have is found in the person of Jesus, the one who it was eternally God, but who became a real human being and was humanly descended from King David. In verse 7, David says this, May he be enthroned in David's presence, in, in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. So now David's no longer talking. If you look really carefully at these verses, he's no longer talking about himself now. He's sliding into the future. He's talking about the king, his great descendant. Great David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The one who is now the king of kings. And David gives us a little bit of a glimpse, just as we saw last week in Psalm 60, just a little bit of a clue that someone special is coming, this, this, this Messiah is coming. Here we get the same, this little glimpse, this little clue that there is a king that's going to live forever who's coming. And David gives us a little glimpse into the future, what it will be like when Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, rules and reigns in a kingdom that never ends. A kingdom that, w that couldn't be brought down by a, uh, a disobedient son. A kingdom where David and all God's people throughout history will sing praise to the name of the Lord Jesus forever and ever. And where sin and pain and death and hell and suffering have been banished forever. And so David finishes this psalm with these words. Then will I ever sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. Like David, we often find ourselves as exiles living in a foreign country. David found himself on the run. He was an exile. And, and sometimes life is like that for us, isn't it? We, we often find ourselves feeling like we're in exile. We're away from home. This world is not our home. It doesn't feel right. We're facing hurricanes. We're facing the fires of life. And, and, and like David, we need to cling on to God in faith. We need to hang on to God in faith until one day we will see Jesus face to face. And then we'll be with him forever. Jesus, David's great descendant, the God who became man, came the first time to die. And he'll come a second time to rule and to reign forever as king of kings and lord of lords. Great David's greatest son. As we wait for that day, or if like my brother he calls us home before that day, let's put our trust in him as we face the hurricanes and the fires of this life. Sometimes God will miraculously intervene in those hurricanes, and we should pray for miracles. We should pray for God's miraculous intervention. And God will sometimes deliver us from the fire, miraculously intervene. And when that happens, we should praise God for it. But for most followers of Jesus, God doesn't miraculously deliver us from the situations we face. It wouldn't be miracles unless they were not common. Instead, he chooses to walk with us through them. He wants to be... In those difficult times, the rock that is higher than I. He wants to be our strong tower that we can run to. 
He wants to be that tent that we can just come to and dwell in and rest and say nothing. He wants to be the wing that we shelter under. Let's just take a few moments to pause and uh, reflect and bring our hearts and lives to God. Jeff's just going to play for us in the background. Let's just take a few moments in the quiet. Uh, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what your life looks like. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. Maybe you, this is kind of new for you. You're checking out the claims of Jesus. Can I say to you this morning, Jesus is the best friend you could ever have. Jesus loves you. He knows you. He made you. Uh, he knew you'd be here this morning before this world was even created. He chose you to be here this morning before the world was even created. And he came. He loves you. He died on the cross for your sin. He wants you to be his child he wants you to come into his family and if you want to take that step this morning then now would be a fantastic time to do that or maybe you want to chat with me a bit further about that that's that would be fine i'd love to talk to you maybe this morning like most of us at different times in life you feel like you're going through a hurricane or, or through a, a firestorm now's a good time just to just to connect with god don't need to say anything just let the Spirit of God touch your heart. And, and maybe you're aware of other people in the room. Like for you this morning, life's great, but you know that there's other folks around you who, for whom life isn't great. And they need God right now. So just maybe pray for them in the quietness of your own heart. Just allow the Holy Spirit to, to minister to us. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that if ever we doubt your love, we need to look no further than the cross where we see you dying there in our place. Thank you that you love us. Your love is immeasurable. It's beyond our words. It's beyond our understanding. Lord, we confess that sometimes we struggle. We often struggle when life hits us, when stuff happens. Father, would you remind us once again this morning as you have done of your love that you want to be that rock that's higher than I that strong tower of refuge that tent of shelter and rest and the, the wing to shelter under Holy Spirit would you just once again touch our broken hearts mend our broken hearts help us to keep looking to you and keep trusting you we worship you this morning we long for that day when, like David, we can look forward to a day when you, Lord Jesus, will rule and reign. And all the bad stuff of this world will be gone. And forever we will be with you in a new world where you will live with your people and your people will live with you. So we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. <laughs>